You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. Uh, so this morning we're, I want to tackle a topic that, that is uh, somewhat, it's a... It's a topic that's not talked about much in many pulpits, and I'm not sure why, um, but we need to talk about it. And I think it's something that's it's interesting and, and, and relevant for the season that we're in, but we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, I want you to get your fingers ready and warmed up because you're going to be walking through the pages of Scripture. So if you've got your finger, just... Do your little finger exercises to keep your fingers warmed up. We're going to be in several different texts this morning, but we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's where we'll be at this morning. Today I want to talk about the rapture. I want to talk about the rapture of the church. And I know that there are some who believe that this, that do not believe this doctrine and think it's a fool's errand to even try to address such doctrine. Well, I've study God's word and I cannot help but believe the doctrine of the rapture. Um, and, and I think in order for us to get to the place where we start to talk about the rapture, I want us to unpack some other things. I want to talk about the millennium. There are three different widely accepted views in Christendom about um, es- eschatology. Eschatology is a big church word for study of end time events. So I want to talk about uh, the three different ideas of millennium eschatology that are taught in Christianity today. So we're going to start there and then we'll get to the rapture. So I want us to look at three different ideas that are taught from uh, many different pulpits in the land. Uh, there's the first one we're going to talk about this morning that are, that are taught Now, I'm going to talk about three of them. I only believe one of them. There's only one that I believe backs up with Scripture. Uh, But we're going to talk about all three different views of eschatology this morning just to help you understand and unpack the ideas here. So the first one I want to talk about this morning is post-millennialism. Post-millennialism. If you're writing these down, um, you can do your best to spell millennialism. I had to to use spell check on this one. But... uh, the idea of postmillennialism is that Jesus will come back to the earth after the thousand year millennium. This doctrine was founded, I found this interesting, this doctrine was actually founded and started by a Unitarian minister by the name of Daniel Whitby in the 1700s. Postmillennialism believes that the picture of Jesus on the horse in Revelation chapter 19 is a picture of Jesus conquering the nations in the present age. And postmillennialism believes um, that history will gradually get better and better, that the world will become a better and better place until Christ returns and as the world is Christianized. So the church is going to go out and we're going to Christianize the nations and we're going to be, the world is going to get better and better and better and better as 
the, the gospel is proclaimed and preached and the kingdom is going to be birthed by the church. This was a very widely accepted view until about World War I and World War II. Um, <laughs> that the world is going to get better and better. And um, after World War I and World War II, this theology, this doctrine was not as well founded. Uh, it's, had a, it's had a somewhat of a revival with R.C. Sproul and, and guys like him. And they, they have this, uh, it's sort of kind of become a more accepted idea. But I don't, I don't think it's, it's not backed up with Scripture. Um, you, you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, In the last days, things will be difficult. Things will be difficult. The Scripture over and over and over again paints a picture of the world getting worse before God returns. They'll get it worse rather than better. But this, this theology, this doctrine teaches that things are going to get better and better and better. And we, as the church, are going to help birth the kingdom. And we could barely get ourselves out of bed. I don't know how we're going to birth a kingdom. It's, it's not the church that does the launching of the kingdom. It's Christ who launches the kingdom. Christ and Christ alone. So that's number one is post-millennialism. Number two is awe-millennialism. You guys like that word? Awe-millennialism. Anytime you place the word awe in front of anything, it negates the meaning of the word after. So you hear awe-millennialism. This teaches and believes that there will be no millennial kingdom on earth. None whatsoever. There will be no kingdom. All millennialism, all millennialists say that all of the verses in the Bible that are about the millennial kingdom are just symbolic and pictures and types and shadows. And to go further into this teaching and in this theology, it teaches that the church right this very moment is receiving the millennial blessings that were supposed to be handed out to Israel. Like I don't, I don't, I don't understand how you can get that from the text because it's not really taught there that there's not going to be a kingdom. Well, you read Revelations nineteen and twenty, very much there is going to be a kingdom. So all millennialists, I just I don't know where that gets it. Um, so in other words, the church in in an all millennialist view, the church is reigning and ruling with Christ right now. How's that working out for us? <laughs> Um, and this is the problem when people who do this they turn the Bible into pictures and types and symbols and you move away from a literal translation of the Bible the scripture becomes cloudy and murky and you just you start it starts to get very it gets sketchy when you start saying that that it's pictures and types that, this, that what has happened in Revelations isn't really happening. It's just a picture and a symbol. That it gets murky and it gets dangerous. That's, that's a dangerous spot to be in. Then you've got the third view that, that I hold to personally is premillennialism. Premillennialism is in Christian, Christian eschatology is the belief that Jesus will physically return to the earth, the second coming, before the millennium, and literally a thousand year reign and rule of Christ on his throne. This will be preceded by the rapture of the church. And so what I want to do this morning, we'll talk about, we'll get at some point later down the road, we'll talk about the millennial reign. But I want to talk about the rapture. And there are people that will immediately say, well, Caleb, wait a second. 
the word rapture is not in the Bible. And you're right. It's the word rapture is not in the Bible. But the doctrine, the teaching of the rapture is, that word is not there. The word rapture is actually an English slang word. And the actual word in the text, we'll get to in a minute, we'll read it. And you're going to see it in the text, where that that idea, where that theology comes from. Um, And because what I want to do in order to get to this idea, we've got to read the Bible. The Bible has to interpret the Bible. The, The context of these verses have to be played out because a verse out of context is pretext. And so there are several verses that reference the snatching away or the, the, the rapturing of the church. We've got verses such as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, John 14, 1 through 3, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 through 52. So we've got several verses that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 13. Read with me here, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, as those who are fallen asleep, that you may not be grieved as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this will declare to you, we, we declare to you, By the word of the Lord that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry or a shout of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet him or to meet the Lord and therefore will be with the Lord forevermore. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord this morning. And so I want us to unpack this and we're going to go a little, just piece it together one piece at a time here. We're going to look at this first idea. It says in verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed. Another word here for uninformed is ignorant. There are some translations, I think in the King James version, it actually says we do not want you to be ignorant brothers. This is the idea here is uninformed or or ignorant. Paul says here, I don't want you to be ignorant about these particular things. You see, there was a there was a teaching that was going on in the, the, the day in which this was written. And there was a difference between ignorance and stupidity. Ignorance or I'm sorry, stupidity means foolish or absurd. And ignorant means to be just simply uninformed. So Paul says about the idea of the, the church being caught up or taken away, I don't want you to be uninformed because there was a teaching in that day that those that had died are going to miss the return of God. Those that were dead in Christ were going to miss the, the return of Christ. And so Paul tells them this first thing is, I, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. Those that have fallen asleep. So Paul is saying, first off, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to be very informed on this important teaching about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Now, the word asleep in the text 
It does not mean what some of you do during my sermon. I'm glad a couple of you got that. Wake up the neighbor next to you that didn't get that and help him out. But the word asleep refers to those who have died. Uh, that, that word asleep, that term was used several times in the New Testament. That term specifically was used of Jairus' daughter in Matthew chapter 9, verses 23 through 24, um, when Jesus raised her from the dead. And if you remember, Jesus walks into the people mourning. He gets there and Jairus' daughter is dead and they walk in and everyone is mourning. And they've got, they've, and actually in this, if you read the text, they've actually got professional mourners. There were people that that's how they made their money. They were professional mourners. They were actors. They would come to someone's house and they would mourn and do this. The text tells us, I got this in the New Living Translation in Matthew chapter 9. It says, And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said to them, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but she's sleeping. Now, could you imagine that? Your daughter is died. She's died. No breath in her whatsoever. She's laid out in the bed. She's dead. And Jesus comes in and says, why is there so much commotion? She's not dead. She's sleeping. And the, the text says that they laughed at him. They laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and said, arise, young girl, arise. And she arose and she was hungry and thirsty. And Jesus said, get her something to drink. The people in this day, they did not understand Jesus. They, they saw Jesus as this outside force that didn't, like the waves and the winds, they didn't obey him. Things that, that, that flowed in the natural rhythm of order in creation didn't do what they're supposed to do when Jesus was around. Jesus could walk on water. Christ did things that no one else could do. No one understood him. And when he said, this young girl is asleep, the idea of laughing here is that they're mocking him. What, you don't know what death is? Really? Idiot. That's the idea in the text. The people mocked Jesus because he said, she's not dead, she's asleep. But think about that. What's death to Jesus Christ? What is death to the Lord Jesus Christ? Death has no say on Jesus. Amen? Death has no say in Jesus. And so... There is no reason for those that are in Christ, listen, for those that are in Christ, we have no reason to mourn like those who have no hope. That's what the text tells us here. We, we have no reason to mourn like those who have no hope. Now, listen, I've been to, I've, my dad was a pastor for the entire time I was alive. The entire time I've been alive, my father has been a pastor. And so I've been to multiple funerals. I've been to funerals where you go into the room and you know that someone is a believer. The testimony of the room is that he knew Christ. And there's a different sense and understanding that, that man, this isn't goodbye. It's we'll see you later. And yes, we're sad in the moment that they're gone. But it's not a morning of oh, no hope. It's a morning of Man, we're going to miss him for a little bit, but we're going to see you again soon. Let me tell you, I've been in other rooms in funerals where my father has done funerals, and you knew that they weren't a believer. There was no testimony of them being a believer, and the room was heavy. It was a room of just utter sadness because 
they have no hope. They don't have hope. And so the idea here is that death is nothing to fear or mourn when Christ is in the midst of it. When Jesus is near death, it's nothing to be afraid of. So Paul says back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I don't want you to be uninformed about these things. Those who are asleep, I don't want you to grieve as others who have no hope. Why is that? Because Christians should not grieve the way the world grieves death. Amen? Amen? Y'all wait. Gotta stay, stay with me here. We, 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, We are of good courage, say you, and willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present for, with the Lord. So those believers that have gone on before us, they are no longer absent from the Lord Jesus Christ. They're absent from this physical earthly tent, but they are present with the Lord. When a Christian dies... They are immediately placed into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we grieve, yes, but we do not grieve as the world grieves. We have hope. It is not goodbye. It is, we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. That those who have fallen asleep, that they may not grieve. The hope is that we have the, the, because of what Jesus has done. Verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, even, even so, through Jesus, God will bring them with Him. God, verse 14, God will bring with Him those who have died. So we have hope. We have hope because of what Christ did on our behalf. We who have hope because Jesus died on the cross and took our place and then on the third day was raised for our justification. Those who are in Christ are not dead. Those that have died in Christ, they're not going to miss anything. They are going to come back with Him. We have hope that we'll see them again. Christ promises us this. He says, God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep. Bring them to what? Let's think about what we're reading here. This is We've got to read the Bible in context. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Bring them to what? Well, verse you've got to keep reading in context. Verse 15, 16, and 17. He is bringing... Let's, actually, before we just go into that, let's read it. What does the text say? Verse 15, 16, and 17. They say something very specific here. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So we're not going to get there first. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and those who have died will be raised First, And then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So we have this idea in the text that he is bringing those who are dead in Christ with him in this moment. When all believers will be reunited together. How is this going to unfold? The Lord himself will descend with a 
cry of command, a shout of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then the Lord. So the idea here, that first idea, it says the Lord will himself descend from heaven. He will be, he's fulfilling John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. I'll read that for you. If you guys want to go over there, you can. But John chapter 14 gives us a very clear picture. Now listen to how he says this. This is what the Lord Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Or many, some say mansions, other translations say rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So there's this idea here that the Lord's going to descend from heaven and come to get his elect. Those who have believed in him. He is taking them home. Now, how does he return? He returns with a cry of command, a shout of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ are going to rise at this sound. Now, the voice of the archangel, not much is mentioned about these angels other than we know who one of them is. One of them's name is Michael. But just as Christ's first appearance was announced by angels, his return will be announced by angels as well. So there's going to be an angel that's loudly going to announce that Jesus is coming. Christ is coming. And then the trumpet of God will follow this shout from the angel. Now, this trumpet is not a trumpet of judgment that is laid out in Revelation chapter 8 through 11, but rather it is a trumpet like that is referenced in Exodus chapter 19, which called the people out of the camp to go meet God. This is a trumpet of deliverance. It is a trumpet of deliverance. It is referenced as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 51 through 53. 51, verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So there again, once again, we're referencing death. We will not all die, but we shall be changed in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on imperishableness, and the mortal body must put on immortality. This is referenced again in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. After this, this is John, the revelator. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. And it said, come up here. And I will show you the things that must take place after this. So this is once again, post-millennialists and amillennialists, they, they, they say that this stuff isn't future, it's a picture. If things have to happen after, this is a futuristic book. So, at once, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on that throne. Now, I want to reference something back here in, in Revelation, so this is something that helps us. Um, Something that's apparent in the text in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 
and 3 of Revelation um, have instru- specific instructions for the church. The church is given instructions on what to do in chapters 2 and 3. Now, in chapter 4, you see we go to heaven. We, we go to heaven in chapter 4, and then the church is not mentioned once during all of Revelation until, until chapter 19 and chapter 20, when the Lord returns a second time and sets up his kingdom in chapter 20. And if the church was going to go through the tribulation, then there would be some type of instruction for the church to do during this time. There's nothing. There's no instruction whatsoever. But there's all kinds of instruction about the 144,000 elders that will be preaching the gospel, the two witnesses that will be preaching the gospel. There's tons of instructions for those folks that are going to be here. But there's absolutely no instruction for the church. The church is mentioned 19 times during the first three chapters of Revelation, but is absent until chapter 19 of Christ's return onto the earth where he sets up the kingdom. So the text tells us when Christ comes, it's going to be quick. He's going to take the dead in Christ will rise first, and those that are alive and remain and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be changed. They will be changed. Now, this is where we get... This idea, where do we get the world, the, the idea of change? Why do we, what are we, changed into what? What's happening here? Something's taking place. We'll go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will always be with the Lord from here on out. This is where we get the idea of the rapture. I know that the word rapture is not. In the, in the text, but there is a Latin phrase for raised or caught up or changed. And what the Latin phrase is rapimir. Rapimir. And it's spelled R-A-P-I-E-M-U-R. It is a Latin phrase, caught up. So you hear the idea of rapture, rap, rapimir, which means to be caught up, transferred, moved out of. This is where we get the idea in the word rapture. That's where it comes from. These terminologies, these doctrines, this is where all this comes from. We, at that moment, will receive a resurrection body. At that very moment, the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will be moved up immediately first, and in the twinkling of an eye, we join them with resurrected, perfect bodies. Every one of us to be joined together in heaven, will be in, in the clouds, will be made perfect. The dead go right before us, and then those that are alive and remain will be caught up or raptured with them in the clouds. Now, I don't, I don't want to forget this part. Because when we hear the word clouds, we think of a cumulonimbus. Or, what's another fun cloud name? What's that? You don't know any other clouds? Cumulonimbus, I just know that from the movie Up. So, I didn't pay very much attention in science. But... Uh, it's not clouds like water vapors. Did you know what clouds means here? Clouds means angel. The cloud, clouds mean angel. So you're literally going to be transferred by your guardian angel. Your guardian angel is going to take you from here to there. And we will meet our dead loved ones in Christ. And we will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. And we will, that's, that's fast. The, the, this, that's actually, the twinkling of an eye is actually faster than the blink of an eye. The twinkle of an eye is just, it's fast. 
you immediately will be caught up together in the clouds. Your angel will take you out of this world and you will always be with the, Lord, with the Lord. This is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians at the end of this, therefore encourage one another with these words. The rapture of the, I know that the rapture has this stigmatism of, oh gosh, I'm going to be terrified. New world order, oh, Russia. Oh. That's not what we're supposed to do as believers. This is, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. As you see this day going closer, encourage one another. Paul again references to encourage one another as believers that Christ is coming. He says, this is to be an encouragement. Jesus is coming. Just as the first coming was celebrated, so therefore the return of Christ ought to be talked about. It ought to be an encouragement to believers rather than something that is feared. Rather than something that's, oh gosh. I don't know. Those that are in Christ, it is a beautiful thing. Those that are in Christ, it is something that we celebrate rather than dread. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, Paul says is this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some have been, but encouraging one another all the more as we see that day. Notice the word day is capitalized in Hebrews 10. That day drawing near. As we see the return of the Lord getting close and close and closer, we should be gathering together, encouraging one another on this topic. Here's the bottom line. If You have benefited from Christ's first coming. We should be all the more ready, eager, and willing to talk about his second coming. I don't know why we don't want to talk about his second coming in this culture that we live in. Anybody that talks about the return or the rapture of the church, nobody, don't talk about that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like, listen, the fact of the matter is that Jesus is coming. And nothing can stop that from happening. And what matters is, What really matters is, are you ready for the return of the Lord? And you might say, well, Caleb, that may not happen for 10,000 years. And you might be right. But here's the fact of the matter. You and I still die. You and I will still stand in front of God. What's 10,000 years to eternity? (laughs) What what is that? What is that? It's It's not anything. Regardless... Whether Christ returns or you die, the fact is the matter of if Christ does tarry, I will die. You will die. And we will stand before Jesus one day and you will one day see him as either Savior or you're going to see him as judge. Now is the time that we need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. After you die, it's too late. After you're died, it's, 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 it's done. Now, I'm not a guy that said, I'm not a date setter, but I can tell you that the, the book of Matthew tells us that the return of the Lord, the days are going to be like Noah. They're going to be sinful and just, just an atrocious amount of sin. And then you keep going in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need that I write anything about this. So why would he, why would he say that? Because I don't need, you, you're going to know, you're going to know. For you yourself are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. While people say 
safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. What has been a huge thing that's been going on in the last six months? They erected a statue in front of the United Nations for peace and safety. We're going to have safety and security. It's been a big push of safety and security, peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. And then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Now, this isn't for the church. We're removed from this. We don't get to see it. We will never see the wrath of God. Now, we might see the wrath of man against the church, but you and I will never see those that are in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you are saved from the wrath of God. Now, I didn't say you're saved from the wrath of man. There may be men who try to tear you apart. Um, Canada just passed a law that uh, if you preach against homosexuality or try to convert a homosexual to Christianity, it is a hate crime and you will be thrown in prison. YouTube just banned all of John MacArthur's sermons about homosexuality as hate speech and you, cannot, you can't listen to them online on YouTube anymore. It's coming. The birth pangs are there. So what do we need to do? All the more, dig into this word. Study God's word. Mark chapter 1 verse 15, repent and believe the gospel. For the, for the return of the Lord is near. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. We said, Caleb, it's, it's been thousands of years. They've been saying that for years. They've been saying that. Oh, Caleb, and they've been saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it. And man, I just, I don't know, Caleb. They've been saying this for such a long time. And I just, I don't know. First, Second Peter chapter 3 says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day. With scoffing, following after their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since my grandfather... For since my grandfather died, they've been talking about that. And everything's continuing as it was. It's all the same. For they continued as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens were created long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water and by the word of God. And that, the, and that by means of these, the world was then existed and was flooded with water and perished. There are so many people that ignore the facts of God. Ignore the history of the Bible. Ignore the history of who Jesus is. Ignore it for so many silly reasons. And I'm telling you, we are living in the midst of a time when Christ is about to return. Caleb, you've been saying that for years and years. I have been because I believe it. What's, what's 70 years compared to eternity what's 80 years compared to eternity what's 150 years compared to eternity we are called by jesus to encourage one another to study this to focus on this to look at the return of the lord the return of the lord should cause us a desire to want to please and follow and obey the lord jesus christ if we don't believe that the lord's coming back we're gonna act like who cares I'll live my life People who want to live in sin, listen, listen to me. People who want to live in sin don't want to talk about the return of the Lord. I have friends who want to live in their sins, and so they don't want to talk about the return of the Lord because they're concerned, well, that means I've got to get my life right. 
Well, you, you, yeah, you better. What, what's the answer? Stop being disobedient to the Almighty. Stop being disobedient to the Almighty and repent and place yourself under the tender tyranny of Christ. That's the answer. Christ is coming and we need to be ready as His church. Amen? Let's stand together. You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarville, Kansas 67024. God bless you.